It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? Little double header, little NBA double header. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about five o'clock, five thirty, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at Michelobeultra.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. We launched one shining pod. It wasn't a launch, it was a relaunch. Tate Frazier is back at The Ringer. He was on this podcast on Tuesday. I went on his podcast and you can hear that conversation where we went We went deep. We made fun of Nephew Kyle. It was great. Uh, but check it out. One Shining Pod. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of podcasts, The Mismatch Podcast, Chris Vernon, Kevin O'Connor, they've both been on here. They're going to be live in Los Angeles on Monday, March 6th at 8 p.m. at the El Rey Theater. We have a couple tickets still available. It's at the elray.com, V-E-L-E-R-Y.com. And I might, I might be there. Who knows? Maybe I'll get pulled up on stage. Maybe I'll embarrass myself. Maybe I'll be overserved. Who knows? But you get to see KOC and Verno. They'll argue. It'll be great. We'll make Memphis jokes. Um, so check that out. Listen to their podcast as well. We put up on the Prestige TV podcast, we did a Succession Hall of Fame episode that is already up. It was the Which Side Are You On? Episode six, season one, the first great Succession episode. We are going to do that in the Prestige pod every week leading to, uh, leading to March 28th when Succession comes back. So there you go. Rosillo is coming back on Sunday. So decided to get a little goofy for this podcast. We have Ariel Hawani talking about John Jones and trying to put him in a perspective career-wise, what's going to happen at, at uh, the UFC event this Saturday, who's the best athlete doppelganger for him in team sports and all kinds of stuff. That was really fun. And then our old friend Chuck Klosterman, a podcast Hall of Famer, 
for the BS podcast and for the old BS report. And he's back. And we talked about a whole bunch of things. Victor Wembanyama, ghosts, UFOs, Ralph Sampson. We go all over the place. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, there is a big, big, big UFC event this weekend. This is big. It's big. It's a big one. John Jones is back. Yes. Three plus years, Aria Hawani, since we've seen John Jones. He's had a litany of issues. First of all, did you think we'd ever see him again? I thought we would see him again. And by the way, great to be back. A little bit disappointed we're not starting with the hottest team in the NBA, your New York Knicks, six in a row, no big deal. But that's okay. Uh, I know you don't want to bring that up, especially after the big win on Monday against the Celtics. Don't worry, we don't have to talk about it. It's okay. That's fine. It's totally okay. Um, John Jones was going to come back. He's too young. There was too much for him left to do. What else is he going to do? He's not going to become a broadcaster. He's not going to become a coach. So I thought he would come back. How about this? The last time we saw John Jones fight, the last time we could say we're in the midst of a John Jones fight week was February of 2020 before the whole world changed, shut down. Wow. Right? Like, it's like it's like a relic of a different lifetime. It is quite nice to see him back, despite the fact that, of course, he's coming back as a heavyweight. All this other stuff has happened. It feels cozy. It feels like comfort food having him back. 26 and one with one no contest. And the one that he lost was a DQ loss. He's basically never lost. Never lost. Um, Youngest UFC champ ever. I wrote all this down. I did a lot of research for this one. He has all the light heavyweight records you would want. Um, And yet his legacy was starting to become, eh, this is sad how this is going, right? He basically has a whole decade of bad behavior, failed drug tests, arrests, all kinds of things that threaten to overshadow. I'm trying to think what boxer, like what famous boxer, what athlete had a run like this where you're like the best in the world and yet you're your own worst enemy in basically every other part of your life. Well, the one that comes to mind is Mike Tyson, but it was obviously a little bit different because he went to jail for an extended period of time. The comparison that I've always made as far as John Jones is is concerned, and, and it's not a perfect one, but I think it's one that you would appreciate. To me, he was the closest thing that we ever had to Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, two guys who had incredible mm-hmm. God-given ability, but couldn't get out of their own way. Now, the difference is it always felt like Doc and Daryl never quite realized their potential. Jones was able to overcome all of those faults, vices, whatever you want to call them, and still be in many people's eyes the greatest of all time, have these amazing you know, streaks, runs, records, all that stuff. I remember talking to John Jones. This is how far back it goes. He won the belt in 2011. On the day he won the belt in Newark, New Jersey, he took down a mugger. He was meditating at a park, took down a mugger, and we were like, holy smokes, youngest guy, just beat Shogun. He's taking down a mugger in the morning. Like, this guy is a gift from the promotional heavens, right? Like, he is every promoter's dream. He seemed clean cut, son of a pastor, all that stuff. Shortly thereafter says, I'll never show up on TMZ. I'll never get in trouble. A month later, he's on TMZ for, you know, a bad thing. And then it all kind of goes downhill from there, but still always won, always was able to rise to the occasion. In 2013, he's fighting Alexander Gustafson. He's walking out in Toronto before, in my opinion, the greatest UFC fight of all time still to this day and is telling himself, 
I can't believe I'm about to lose. I can't believe I didn't prepare. I can't believe earlier this week I drove outside of Toronto one hour to go party, quote unquote. And what does he do? He digs down deep, he wins. That was 10 years ago. That's how long he's been dealing with this stuff. Now, you talk about the last few performances. The last three were very lackluster. His fights against Tiago Santos, Anthony Smith, uh, Dominic Reyes, the last one, which I thought he lost. All very lackluster. Everyone wants to give him the out. Everyone wants to say it's because he wasn't motivated, because he was bored. That's what he's saying. I raise my hand and say, is that really it? Or was the rubber meeting the road? Was all the partying, was all that stuff catching up to him? And then father time catching up as well. And he was just kind of meeting his match. We're about to find out on Saturday what's the truth because the last three years he hasn't fought. But what has he been doing those last three years? Has he been partying? Has he been letting himself go? Is that why he's fighting at heavyweight? Because he doesn't want to cut the, the extra weight. There's so many questions that I can't wait to get the answer to on Saturday. Can you tell him fire it up, Bill? It's a great one. I, You know, my my buddy Jeff Gallo, my uh, my best friend from high school, this is his guy. Like he, He's like, this is... This is, but sent me this whole text of all of these different things. Like you gotta, gotta, because I told him I was talking. You know, you gotta ask him, is it bad if he left the New Mexico gym? But oh, yeah. um, with the way you laid out that good and strawberry thing, I actually thought of another person that's a better example. It's Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, that's a good example. Because Lawrence Taylor, he leaves football. He goes down as the best defensive player of all time anyway, despite the fact that he was his own worst enemy and despite the fact that he probably left some career on the table, he still won the two Super Bowls. He's still, I I don't care who's come next, he's still the best. And yet there's like a little tinge of sadness to it too because he left some stuff on him. Maybe that's what's going to happen with John Jones. That's a fantastic comparison. It really is. Um, I kind of wish that I thought of it myself. I remember we workshopped it. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, we, we, we went from doc to, you know, New York guys. Um, well, I was there for doc and I, I was living in Connecticut. I mean, I, I'm still him and Pedro are the only two pitchers I've ever seen at that level ever. Incredible. Yeah. And, and we know about the stories of him not showing up to the parade and all that stuff. Yeah. I remember talking to John Jones in 2018 and this was before the Alexander Gustafson rematch, which in my opinion was his last great fight. And by the way, I don't know if a lot of your listeners even know this. I mean, every John Jones fight week is is just filled with drama. They moved that event from Las Vegas to Inglewood, California, midweek, mid-fight week, because a test popped up that Nevada wasn't comfortable with. And so mm. they went to, like, very strange stuff. They moved the event for him, right? But in that fight, he looked great, and it was his last dominant win. The next three were the three that I just talked about, Smith, Santos, and Dominic Reyes. But before that fight, he came uh, to my studio when I was at ESPN. And I said to him, look, you've, you've been on a nice little run here. No drama, no issues. Whenever they do the 30 for 30 on you, because I think you could do a great 30 for 30 or any kind of documentary on John Jones, whenever they do it, are they going to say, yes, you were Lawrence Taylor, Doc Good, and Daryl Strawberry. Yes, you messed up time and again. You went to jail, hit and run, all this stuff. But then you figured it out. And the last five or six years of your life or career were squeaky clean, and you were able to realize all your potential. His response was, man, I don't know if I could stay out of trouble for that long. And I was like, damn, man, uh, at least he's honest. At least he gets it. And guess what happened? First month of the pandemic, gets in trouble. A year later, the night he gets inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame for that first Gustafson fight, gets in trouble. Now, it's been a bit of a nice run here as far as no trouble is concerned. But my question is, like, when GSP came back after a four-year layoff, we knew he was working out. We knew he was treating his body like a temple. Is John Jones doing that? And, and, and if he's not, his age at this point, mid to late 30s, it's all going to catch up and, and he's going to falter. 
My only resume with this stuff is all the boxing. As you know, I love boxing, as do you. And we've seen the boxers in situations like this, the guys who, you know, burn the candle on both ends and it ends abruptly and fast in a bad mm -hmm. way. Usually is how it goes. There's two things that I think are bad signs for him. One is that. The other is just the ring rust thing. Now, you know, we don't have ring rust in MMO. What do you call it? Octagon rust? Cage is, rust. Is there cage better? Rust. Cage rust? Okay, cage yeah. rust. <laughs> but this is like perennially one of the best betting spots you can have is the former awesome boxer with the big name who just hasn't been fighting that much and maybe even has like the two, three years off. But his name, like John Jones' favorite, he's minus 166 on FanDuel. And we haven't seen him in three plus years. The, the the bookies in the casinos, they love this situation because the guy he's fighting is good. Very good. That's the other thing. It's not it's not like this is like a tomato matchup or somebody who's got a name, but I don't know. I think Cyril Ghan is, I've, I've seen multiple fights with him where you're like, Jesus, this guy, you know, he, he even took Nagano, like, I don't know. He, he took him five rounds. Well, here's the thing about Cyril Ghan. He is very good. He's an incredible athlete, by the way. Like one thing about fighters, they suck at all other sports. Have you ever seen John Jones shoot a basketball? He shoots it like a two-handed set shot. He has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> right. Cyril Gunn, when he was young, they actually thought he was going to be a pro basketball player in France. I call him the French Prince. I stole that from Frank Nilakina, who didn't deserve mm. that nickname, and I gave it to Cyril Gunn. Smart. He's, he's also an incredible soccer player, too. He's just a great athlete. And so... You know, over time, he's well, he'd been have able the ones where he'd go like leg kick strategy. Like, yes. he, you know, he's he's pretty malleable, which is kind of what I would want against John Jones. He's great. Here's the thing. Here are the two things that are working against him right now, as far as the public is concerned. Number one, everyone's enamored with John. He's back. He's the goat. All this stuff. So people want to like fall in love with the story. Number two, you mentioned the Francis fight, and if I could steal a term from the younger demographic out there, he sort of mm. fumbled the bag that night in Anaheim last year. Why? Because number one, he was set up to be like the hitman for the UFC. The UFC wanted him to beat Francis in his last fight and, you know, right. get rid of him and take the belt. Didn't happen. But number two, he was up two rounds to none in that fight and then lost the last three rounds. And he lost the last three rounds to an older Francis Ngannou, to a Francis Ngannou who doesn't know how to wrestle, who has never used wrestling before in his, in his UFC fights, to a Francis Ngannou who doesn't wrestle with a freaking torn ACL. He had a torn ACL in that fight uh, and still out-wrestled Cyril Gunn. He really, really stumbled in that one badly and he should have won that fight. Francis had to get surgery afterwards. The doctor told him before the fight, on fight week, do not fight. This is going to be detrimental to your career. There was just too much hanging on it. He had to do it. So I think that people wonder, all right, how's he going to be in this big spot? I think he's learned a lot. He's come back since, by the way. He fought in Paris in his, in his hometown and looked great back in September. But, you know, this is a different beast. This is a pay-per-view main event once again against John Jones. I think he rises to the occasion and looks good. But there's a lot of people out there that think of the three options for John to come back to, it was Stipe Miocic, Francis Ngannou, Cyril Gunn, that he's the worst because he's the youngest, quickest, most, most athletic of the bunch. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Well, he's also heavyweight. And that's well, been another thing over yes. the years in boxing when... when the guy that keeps moving up weights in boxing, it's it's a lot easier. You're moving up, you know, nine, 10 pounds. And, and this going from light heavyweight to heavyweight is pretty substantial. And we've seen in boxing, sometimes you can, you can go up one too many. So I, I worry about that one too. But then just to go back on, on all the shit that's happened to Jones, 2012 DUI, 2014 failed the drug test a month before he beat Cormier. Um, 
felony hit and run in 2015, tested positive for banned substances after fights in 16 and 17, and the and the 17 fight was against Cormier. That became a no contest. 2019 battery and a cocktail waitress, no contest, pleaded. 2020 aggravated DWI and 2021 domestic violence incident. Nothing in 22 though. No. So he's he's on a streak, but th- it's really rough when you like go through and you're like, man, this guy. And plus, there's probably stuff that never came to light too. And you just think, this guy just to be around and be favored in a heavy in a heavyweight uh, UFC match in 2023, probably unlikely just if you look at the record. But I think that speaks to what a specimen he is, right? It's yeah. a little like the Lawrence Taylor thing. But they would be like, percent. that guy was fucking amazing. The guy would crawl out of some hotel room and he could play on a Sunday and he knew he hadn't slept for three days. Just to drive home the point even more, if we are going to have a discussion on who's the greatest MMA fighter of all time and PD infractions aren't involved, like there's no asterisk involved, he's number one. And it's not really even close. Like his run yeah. early on, it was a murderer's row. Now, if we want to, you know, if we want to play the game where the PD infraction eliminates you, then to me, GSP is number one. But if everyone is involved, everyone's available, it's John Jones. It's one of the greatest runs of all time. And it's funny because I think a lot of the new fans, the pandemic fans, the gambling era fans, the ESPN era fans don't even know that John Jones. They aren't even aware of who that guy is. So they're all wondering like, okay, this sounds cool, but like, why are you guys so gaga over? It's because of what he did to Lyoto Machida and Vitor Belfort and Shogun Hua and Quinton Jackson in 2011, 12, 13, 40. And even that DC fight, the first one in 2015, he took down the Olympian multiple times in that fight. And that was a coming out party for him because he took him down multiple times and 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 they had such a bad, you know, rivalry. Like they hated each other. It was, it, in my opinion, still the greatest feud in UFC history. And afterwards, if you recall, hit him with the DX, suck it. And at the post-fight press conference said, I hope he's crying somewhere right now. Like that was the first time that he finally embraced the inner heel that we got to see the true John Jones, which I thought was fine. Like it was refreshing. Mm. So now, you know, he he's staying out of trouble to your point, but also, to your point, what has he been doing? Where has he been training? How has he been taking care of himself? And how is he going to look and fight and feel with 20, 30 extra pounds on him come fight night, right? Like, right. Is that gonna so what are we thinking, 25 his... extra pounds? At least. He was never a really big, light heavyweight. Like, he had to cut 20 or so pounds, but everyone does. But he was never, like, big, right? Like, even yeah. outside of the fights, he was never big. And so I worry how he fights with that extra weight. Sometimes it doesn't bode well. Surreal Gun is a legit 260, 255 pounder, like legit. That to me is another question going. There's so many questions going that's into this fight great. and that's what makes it so great. I didn't tell you this tidbit I'm about to give you. My son loves John Jones. Now, keep in mind, has never seen a John Jones pay-per-view fight. <laughs> has only started following and caring about MMA through TikTok and YouTube the last couple of years. And guess who's the guy if you're like, if my son's 15 and him and his friends and they pass these clips back and forth and they're into the guy that just jumps off the TikTok screen or the YouTube screen. If you're going to anybody the last 30 years, it's John Jones. Wow. And, that and shocks me. he has this, just these different like moves that he does. One of which was my son will do this thing where he pretends he's going to like, like tackle me. But then at the last second does that turn the 180 elbow thing never lands it on me obviously but he's like john jones unstoppable i'm like you've never watched a john jones fight like what's going on but he was like that's the guy is there are you surprised to hear that 
Very. There's like TikTok, YouTube stuff with him now. Extremely surprised. I would think it's Conor McGregor, number one. I would think it's Israel Adesanya. I would think it's Habib. I would think. I think it's, that John uh, Jones, that the, there's the danger element with him too, because you know he's like not the greatest guy. Maybe that ties a into boy. it too. Is, a little so bit of a bad boy. Is your son going to watch on Saturday? Oh, we're absolutely 100 percent watching. Okay, yeah. I love that. That's it's great. happening. I think also part of his allure. You know, if you're a sports fan, you know about Chandler Jones, his brother. You know about Arthur Jones. Like this family, two you know NFL stars, champions. He's the greatest, you know, MMA fighter of all time in many people's eyes. So I think that kind of helped him a little bit. But I have to say, like, I, I can't even think of a good answer here. I am shocked to hear that because I thought, and I sensed this a little bit, maybe I'm just talking to the wrong people, that there's a lot of new fans of this sport, like the post-pandemic fans, who just don't get what the fuss is. Like, they've heard people like me talk about the mm. DC rivalry and all this. But to them, it's about, like, you know, Patty Pimblett and Conor McGregor and all these guys. And I don't know if they're going to see the John Jones that we saw eight, nine years ago. I don't know if that guy can ever come back, especially not as, as a heavyweight, but it's a, a very smart move on his part because if he loses to Surreal Gun, the, 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 the legacy at 205 doesn't get touched. That is always going to just remain there, right. pristine, untouched. He's kind of playing with House's money now, and if he wins, the debate is over. Like He is the greatest. There's no doubt about it. Well, to be fair, my sample size was only LA prep school kids in the ninth grade. So I don't, I don't know that might, maybe that's not around the world, but I thought it was interesting that he was the one, I thought the same thing as you. I thought it would have been McGregor because McGregor's right. had more fun, but I, I think there's a technical aspect to some of the stuff he does that is pretty cool. Um, just in general, UFC, how are we feeling? Let me tell you something, man. Like, what do they need time. this one? Do they need like a W here? Because it hasn't been a, a great well, last couple months. Okay. So there's two answers there. Number one, what a great time to be hosting the Ringer MMA show. Shout out our, our right. preview big for Big podcast this week, big preview yeah, pod, yeah. Uh, is out right now, so go check it out. Uh, it's a great time because the next two months are incredible as far as UFC is concerned. We've got this pay-per-view on Saturday, UFC 285. Two weeks later, we have another pay-per-view, the trilogy, Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman in London. They oh, never do pay-per-views in that's London. That's two weeks later? Two weeks later, March 18th, incredible. Two weeks after that, or maybe it's three, April 8th, Israel Desanya versus Alex Pereira, two going down, or maybe four if you want to count the kickboxing matches in Miami. That's April 8th. And then May 6th, we're getting the return of Henry Cejudo against Aljamain Sterling. Um, that's a big uh, bantamweight title fight. And there's a bunch of fight nights. The best part about it, there's no Apex cards. They're not fighting at that 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 venue that I hate, that is soulless. It's a great stretch. So this is the beginning of an amazing run. And by the way, a couple of weeks ago in Perth was an incredible main event. Alex Volkanovsky and Islam Makhachev. So they're on a roll right now. As far as the W is concerned, you can make a case that John Jones is tougher to deal with. He's a headache. He's unreliable. He's given them a lot of, you know, heart attacks over the last decade or so. But because Francis Ngannou left and was stripped of the belt and, you know, he's the heavyweight champ, but now he's no longer the champ because he's no longer in the company and because he has a win over Surreal Gun, if Surreal Gun wins this fight, there's still the Francis cloud hanging over the heavyweight division. If John Jones wins, you got the return of the king, the return of the superstar, but also he is not tied to Francis whatsoever. So you could say, that's the guy. That's the main man. That's the man at heavyweight mm -hmm. and light heavyweight. So it separates them more from Francis. By the way, I'm setting the line at one and a half for Francis Ngannou mentions on the pay-per-view on Saturday. They are going to pretend going that under? he doesn't exist. I'm going yeah. with the under, yeah. They're going to pretend he doesn't exist. It's very pro wrestling. 
I hate this stuff. I wish they would be more honest. The countdown show that just came out on Sunday has no mention of him whatsoever. They say that Cyril lost the fight in Anaheim. They don't say against two. They don't even show his face. He just lost stuff. to a mystery opponent. <laughs> it was just like, yes, the it was like a luchador. Yes. Yeah. It, ridiculous. But if John wins, it's a clean break. If Cyril wins. So that to me, when I think of W, is that a W? No, but it, John winning is big for them. And this is the beginning of a big stretch. So they're doing just fine. Slap League, maybe not as much, but UFC doing just fine. Slap League, is that even happening still? It's happening. Yes, uh, uh, the finale, and I guess I'm giving them a plug here, is airing on something called Rumble. What the hell is Rumble? Had, had no idea it was even still going on. Rumble. Um, Have you ever heard of Rumble? Is that a, what is that? It's a, like a, a social media platform. I've never even heard wow. of it. Wow. Man, that's probably where uh, Jake Paul's going to end up with his boxing. <laughs> I lost 100 hours on Jake Paul Saturday. Oh, no. I bet Sunday. on the Jake Paul on Sunday on the Jake Paul KO for, it was oh, like, KO. I don't know, plus 220. Yeah, I was like, Tyson Fury's brother? Get out of here. And uh, and Jake Paul really just has the one move. He ducks down and yep. then he throws the overhand, overhand right. right. Yeah. And once you figure that one out, there's not, not like a plan B really. So I think, uh, I think that might be it for him with, You'll get another fights. crack in the rematch. They're going to try to do the rematch so you can try it again. Well, hopefully they'll have a better referee. Um, <laughs> all right, so big thing Saturday night. We'll find out our answer for on John Jones once and for all. Ringer MMA show. You're breaking down. What's the second best fight, by the way? I forgot to ask you. Oh, my God. Valentina Shevchenko against Alexa Grasso, but also Bo Nickel, the pride of Penn State, making his official UFC debut. And there's a great fight between a guy named Shavkat Rachmanov going up against Jeff Neal. And one more, Jalen Turner versus Mateus Gamrud. This main card, trust me, basically the, the last 10 fights on this card you want to watch. There's a good storyline attached to every single one of them. One of their better offerings in a very, very long time. Awesome. And then you'll have a, a Ringer MMA pod right after that. We're going to tape live on Twitter Spaces. And there you yes, go. Sir. Ario, great to see you as always. It's great to see you, Bill. Thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about. 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring. At simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simplysafe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, we're taping this on Thursday morning. 
trying something fancy with Chuck Klosterman. Think of all that we I don't remember when we did our first podcast, but I was I was on some rinky dick machine calling you. I couldn't see you. Now I'm in the Spotify studio. I got lights on. You're on the Zoom TV. We've really come a long way in 2023. I'm excited to see you. It is. You know, those early podcasts, it was also almost like we thought we were doing something just almost idiotic. Like who would possibly even want to be listening to this? It was very liberating. Now there's much more pressure doing these things because it seems as though the impact is much greater than actually writing something. Well, even back then, it seemed like more people were listening than maybe we realized because it's not like ESPN was telling me anything, but it was almost like anecdotally finding out people were listening to our conversations was like, really? You listened to that? Like I, that was my reaction for like the first 18 months I had a podcast. Wow. I can't believe it. Like I remember celebrities, like somebody like Seth Meyers being like, yeah, I heard you and Jacko talking about the Yankees. And I'm like, what? You Like, I was just stunned that anyone listened to him. That's it. It was, I mean, it still seems to come up all the time. If I'm at the airport, if I'm at the dog park, a lot of guys at the dog park listen to this podcast. It's a great yeah. dog park podcast. Probably people right now, like waiting for their dog to take a deuce. Just well, you have, a, you have a long history of loving your dog. I do. You know, you're, you're, you, it's possible that could be the defining work of your writing career. <laughs> was that column you wrote about the dead dog? It's certainly yeah. the most read thing I think I ever wrote. It's the one that still gets mentioned. Dog, dog stuff always plays. So we have a bunch of stuff. We gave ourselves an hour to race through stuff. This is one of your favorite times of the year with March Madness coming. But you said you had two yes. topics for me. You didn't tell me what they were. You're going to throw them at me and we're going to go. I want to surprise you. Okay, the yeah. first one. Okay, so now I've heard, tell me if this is true, you like to gamble. You I enjoy do. gambling. Yep. You enjoy some gambling. Okay. I want to make a wager with you, a public wager okay. over like the, the best chicken Parmesan meal in Los Angeles. Right, okay. let's do it. Okay, I want to create an over-under. You're going to set the number and I'll pick the over and the under. Okay. Victor Wembenyama. Wembenyama? When he is a rookie next year in the NBA, assuming he plays, let's say for a minimum of 41 games, how many points a game will he average? So this is tough because sometimes rookies come in and they're worse than you think scoring wise. And then other times people come in like Paolo where it's like, oh, he's actually better as an NBA player than... It, it's tough. He's averaging 22 points a game in that weird kind of league he's playing in now. Yeah. But a lot of times for these guys coming over from Europe, even like Luca or whatever, when you looked at his numbers in Europe, they were much lower than what he ended up becoming. It's hard to tell sometimes. Plus, he'll be maturing. He's going to get more shots. He's going to play a lot of minutes. I'm curious what you're going to place this at. I'm going to place this at 18 points a game. I'm taking the over. I okay. think he's going to I think he's going to average 21 points a game as a rookie in the NBA. Like a 21-12 with four blocks, something like that. Four blocks maybe. Rebounding is harder to tell, you know, because of his frame. I can't I, I'm not certain on that, but I do think he's going to score quite a bit immediately. So, okay. it sounds like you're fascinated by this guy. Well, I, I, it is. I mean, I am in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I, it's just, uh, uh, it is a new thing. Like there, there, there isn't, if, if you look at him just playing and, uh, you, you say you watch for four seconds, you're like, well, I'm watching Brad Sellers or something. Like, it doesn't seem like it can possibly work, but it clearly does. I mean, I, I just, uh, um, 
Brad Sellers. Well, because he was like a seven foot guy who shot threes and moved around like that, you know? I mean, but it's, uh, it it is, I I don't know. It it seems to be kind of the fruition of a lot of things that have changed about basketball and they're all kind of coming together on this one guy. And um, it, uh, uh, I, 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 you know, obviously that he could be a bust. Anyone could be a bust, but I don't think that's going to happen because the thing is, if he can comfortably shoot threes, well, there's absolutely no way to defend that part of his game. So at an absolute minimum, he can be a standing jump shooter from 27, 26, 25 feet and just, you know, pretty much shoot without a defender on him because it's, there's, there's no one's going to be able to sort of, uh, I, I used to think that about Porzingis, like when he'd shoot those corner threes, I was like, this is the best shot in basketball because, you know, but I don't think that he has the skills of this guy. And I think that this guy is feasibly going to get better. So I, I think it's going to be pretty immediate how successful he's going to be as an offensive player. I watched him for an hour and I was like, this guy's going to be, if he can just stay healthy, will be a transcendent player because He's going to get all the stuff around the rim just because of how tall he is. So you well, just appar- add that part. Yeah. But then apparently they're working on his feet. They're conditioning his feet, like making the muscles in his feet stronger because that is, of course, is the fear with a guy that size. His right. Foot will get hurt. Yeah. They've done a lot of good stuff with him physically because you go backwards. First of all, he has, he has the drop step stuff already. It seems like he has the makings of a jump hook. He's got like kind of a stop and pop 17, 18 footer. The three point shooting, he doesn't, he takes them. He doesn't, he's like 32, 33% something like that, but that'll come. But going backwards, like you and I are old enough to remember Samson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Samson came in and this was very, this was 40 years ago, but when he was in college and there was that famous 1980 draft when Red Arback was trying to get his rights and it ended up being, he traded back and he got Mikhail and Parrish, so it all worked out. But the Samson thing, it was like, this guy's Kareem, but he thinks he's a guard, right? Well, yeah. And, and the thing at the time for Samson, he was always fighting coaches telling him not to face the basket. Right. And he and he was actually a very, like, a very coachable player, but he listened to these guys. I mean, imagine if the skills that Samson had 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 been developed prior to going to Virginia, where he had spent all this time facing the basket being rewarded for his ability to cross over and stuff like that. That's what's happening to this guy. Right. Like this guy, this guy is, he wants to be a guard. Yes. Yeah. And and people want him to be a guard. I think like you talk about his drop step and all that stuff. I think he's going to play the majority of his career facing the basket. Well, I was just talking, I mentioned this on the pod the other day, but I was talking to a Knicks fan who was saying how some of the stuff Embiid does when he faces up is the stuff like he was like, this was a guy who thinks Ewing was a better offensive player than he gets credit for now. And he was like, one of the things when Ewing was third and the whole time he played, a lot of big guys, a lot of traffic, there's no spacing at all. But Ewing's offensive game was actually like really, really great. But it was just the, the era he played, you didn't get to totally see it. He still averaged like 27, 28, 29 a game. But he was like, if you put him in this era where he could face up and he could beat people off the dribble, he could whirl around, do the jump hook stuff. That's all this stuff Wembenyama is going to have. I think when I think about Samson, it's weird. He's He came and went, right? By 88, he was broken down. His knees were gone. But in the early 80s, he was as important as Ewing was. He certainly felt like the successor to Wilt and Kareem. 
And then he actually was successful as a basketball player, right? The Rockets made the finals. They kicked the shit out of the Lakers. And the big reason was he was able to play facing the basket with Hakeem. So uh, to me, that's the Wembenyama blueprint is like, we've kind of seen this before in other force, in other phases. Yeah. I, I think the thing that we haven't seen, though, is the, the idea that someone was actually pushed to do this as opposed to fighting the current of the game and always being, you know, like like there. I, I remember there was like an inside sports story about Ralph Sampson where it talked about like how in I think it was when he was playing with the Warriors, maybe that like he took a three pointer dribbled between his legs and threw a behind-the-back pass all in this game. And it was used as sort of an illustration of, like, there's something wrong with this guy. Like, he won't accept that he's just, like, a, like a brilliant putback artist and he should just be down the, you know. And, right. And Get down kinda, low. What are you yeah. doing? What are you doing kinda, 25 feet away? It kind of seemed true. I mean, it was sort of like, you know. Uh, but I, I think it would be just completely different if, if, if Ralph Sampson had been born in, you know, 2001 or whatever. Oh, we, um, we've talked here, about this yeah, before. Yeah. There's certain guys that just miss their era completely. Absolutely. He is definitely in the top five. He, if he just comes along 30 years later, it's a totally different animal. And Curry, the, uh, the other way, Curry comes in in the late seventies. I, I don't know what happens to him, but you know, or maybe that like the early seventies, the three pointer doesn't three points yet. Then he's yeah, basically mean, Pete Maravich. I mean, maybe Curry goes to the ABA because then that would be, and then they would say his skills wouldn't cross over because the NBA doesn't have the three-point <laughs> right. line. I mean, like, you know, like the, the thing that, uh, like Bob Ryan was tweeting about Zach Edney, the guy from Purdue. He was like this seven-foot guy from Purdue. If he can't play in the NBA, the NBA is just broken. Um, what is interesting, though, is there has always been guys who couldn't play in the NBA just because of, like, how the game was structured. Like, there were tons of guys in the seventies and eighties who were these great shooters who I think could have had real careers if they played now, but they didn't have a chance. Like, I, 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 I mean, this is like a, like a weird example, but someone like Steve Elford or something, like he could have had a longer right. career in like a Steve Kerr type role, uh, despite the limitations he might've had physically. But the fact that he was a great jump shooter was not enough to justify keeping him on a team. I remember I had, this guy, Michael Smith, who's a longtime Clipper announcer, but he was, the Celtics took him over Tim Hardaway. And he was a BYU guy. He was a little bit older and he was kind of that, he, he wasn't really a power forward. He wasn't really a small forward. Couldn't really guard anybody, but he's a really good shooter. And when he came in the league, it just was kind of the wrong time for somebody like him. And he didn't make it. If you put him now, he would have signed a five-year, $90 million contract like Duncan Robinson did. They yeah. would have just been like, it's, here's what I do. I'm in the corner. I'm going to make 45% of my threes here and you can hide me and you can play different zones. But yeah, I, it's so funny to me. But on the conversely, there's some guys that I think, like to me, Durant, and now granted, it's a little different how we play basketball now than in the 70s, but I just think Durant works in any single era we have in, in basketball. It just doesn't matter. He's getting 30 points no matter what the rules are, you know? But he's getting 30 points totally differently if he played in the past. There's totally. no way a seven foot guy would be, have been allowed to play the way he plays. Yeah. And, and he would, and because of his touch and his moves, like they would just bulk him up a bit, I think. And, uh, but there's no way he would have been as effective. Well, I mean, McAdoo he, was I, yeah, the, yeah. McAdoo was the first guy sure. who kind of played like him where he was a center, but he was away from the basket. And I guess Cowens did that a little bit too. But yeah, we're going back to Wembenyama. 
I actually think there's not enough hype about this because within the league, you're seeing like San Antonio is throwing away their season. Uh, we've had, I think, four teams have thrown away their seasons. And then OKC, I, I don't know what the deal is with Shea Gilgis Alexander, but he was, I had him first team all NBA and now he's not playing. I don't know how hard he is, but OKC, you could make a case like you just go on a little 10 game losing streak and they'll have 10% odds. I think all of these people are seeing it the same way we saw it with LeBron 20 years ago, where it's like, this guy's actually a sure thing. Zion, as great as he was, there was still, he was a sure thing, but not, there was still like, ah, physically, I worry. Like, he seems a little knock-kneed. He's got hurt a couple times in high school and college. Like, are we sure he's going to stay healthy? There was that piece kind of lingering. And I guess with Wimbanyama, it's just because of his size. It's just same his frame. Thing. I mean, the same thing with like Chet. I mean, it's just, it's it's like he looks so great too, but he got hurt immediately. And there was suddenly this sense. Mm. It's like, oh my God, his whole life's going to be this way. But, you know, talking about height, this is the, I'm glad you brought this up. Because this is the, the main thing I want to talk to you about before we kind of move on to the other thing. Now, you may be aware of this. I wasn't aware of this until recently. Do you realize that something that I kind of lived my whole life assuming would never happen is probably going to happen tonight. What is it? Are you familiar with Antoine Davis? Antoine have Davis you, is him. Have you, have you ever heard of a college called Detroit Mercy in the horizon? I have. League? Yeah. He's going to break Pete Maravich's career scoring record tonight. What? He's 25 points away. This is probably his last game because they're playing a team. They're playing Youngstown State, who's probably going to win. Now, there's all these caveats. Because of COVID, he played five years. Because of the three-point rule, which he takes a ton of because he's like 6'1", 170 or whatever. You know, it's hard. You know, guys have went back and watched Maravich's tape and said that yeah. he actually would average like 44, 45 for his career. But this guy, who seems like a pretty good kid, is going to break this record. It's getting no attention at all. and. You know, of course, I feel good about the guy succeeding, but in a way, I'm kind of bummed out. This made a very easy trivia question impossible when this is over. Like we are not Antoine Davis is a pretty common name. It's going to be yeah. hard to remember. And it was also just something that I, I, I just I just kind of thought that I would, you know, that's one thing that I knew when I started following basketball. And I thought it would be something I would knew, know when I died. Is like who is the all-time leading scorer in Division One basketball? It seemed unbreakable. It's, it's getting no attention at all. Well, like, the five the, years thing is a little, oh, little sure, sketchy, sure. I mean, it, they would have said that though in any if it had been four years. You know, I mean, the fact that he averaged forty for three games that's for three years, that does seem impossible. Although it does seem, I guess, theoretically plausible that someone could average more than that for a year and then go straight to the NBA, like some guy. If, if there was an American Wimbanyana and he went to um, uh, some, you know, mid-major, I, I think that it's not insane to imagine that someone could average in the 40s for one season. Well, we saw like, that with the Dame Lillard 71-point game the other day. Sure, they, yeah. The 90 points is starting to look more realistic for one of these guards. Yeah. Uh, but, but doesn't it seem bizarre that you did not know this record was going to break, it reflects badly on college basketball. Like, it really shows how different college basketball is in our society now. That a guy could break this record, this record right. that existed before, I believe, before I was born. I think that I think that Maravich came into the league in 71. Am I right? 
Is that he, right? He was yeah. in the 1970 draft. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. So, this is, this predates my whole life that this record existed. Yeah. I never thought, I mean, to me, it was like Cy Young's win record, where I thought the changes of the sport have, have basically eliminated the possibility of this is going to happen. But if this guy scores 25 points tonight, he's going to be the all time leading scorer in Division One basketball. And I guess, you know, he's, he's kind of like, if you watch him play, he's a little bit like Rip Hamilton. Like, he, he's a real, he's like, partially because I think his nose is broke right now and he's wearing a yeah. mask. Maybe that's why I think that, but like, he's like, he's, he's a really, he cuts a lot. He moves a lot. He really is sort of fun to watch. Um, but, uh, it's, it's weird to me. Like I, I shouldn't, I should be happy for him. And yet I find myself disenchanted that now I got to like, remember a new thing, which is something I didn't think I'd have to do. <laughs> well, do you think our generation cared way more about records than maybe the under 25 people do? Cause I don't, I don't think the under 25 people care as much, even the LeBron record, which was like, oh, he's the new scoring champ. I don't think people knew what the actual record was. They just knew he was passing Kareem. But if you went to 20 people on the street and you were like, what's Kareem's record? They wouldn't know what it was. They would know well, it's like 38 yeah. something. Well, the actual number was hard to remember because it's kind of a big number and kind of, uh, kind of unwieldy. Um, I think the thing that you're talking yeah, but, about, but we though, knew, is, we knew Lou Gehrig's no record. We knew that number. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Because, we knew the Ty Cobb hit number. Because there is now something of an adversarial relationship with history in the sense mm. that a lot of people do not want to be conscious of things that predate their existence. So whereas like you growing up would read old magazines and old books and you'd be reading about George Mike and, and that's growing like up, sort of, what about yeah. last week? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, sure, sure, sure. But like now you're looking at the internet. Yeah. Now you're like, you know, and, and the internet sort of creates this sense of a perpetual now where it is acceptable not to think about the past because the idea is like, well, you can always access that if you have to. If you have to know what happened 70 years ago, you can check. But there's almost no interest about players and accomplishments that predate someone's life. I think in the way that, prior generations were sort of almost socialized to have. I would like say, this, I, mean, I would actually yeah. say it's worse than that. I did, I've made a joke about this in my trade value column about how the TikTok Twitter era has led to this whole weird basketball universe where they, they'll run like this two minute clip of white chocolate or Stefan Marbury or, you know, the Charles Sprewell and they'll be like, White chocolate was a problem. And it'll be like, and it'll look like he's amazing in these two minutes. Same for Vince Carter. Vince Carter now post-career has been vaulted, like almost on like the T-Mac Kobe level, just from the way his career has been treated because he's a good guy. But yet we were there for Vince Carter and like you couldn't make the finals if Vince Carter was your best player. Like that, there was just a huge difference. And I, I think... He was, I know I was really critical of him when he played. He couldn't stay on the court. Like he, he quit on Toronto, all this stuff. And, but yet the historical evaluation through this TikTok Twitter lens has made these, these kind of sports center clip guys more important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, really weird. I, I don't know. Like if there was criticism of say like Connie Hawkins and David Thompson and those guys at the time, I was too young there to was, know. Like, there was like Spencer Haywood. Yeah. Those guys, yeah. those guys took it. But what, what, what I'm saying, Hawkins and Thompson specifically because they were just these outstanding dunkers. And that was like, you yeah. know, like I, like I had a David Thompson poster or whatever. But, that, I didn't but know Thompson much, you know. won though. But, like he almost made the finals. He was an mm -hmm. all, first team all NBA guy. Like he, 
I think he backed it up. I, I think would be the difference. What was the farthest that Vince Carter got team wise? Vince Carter never got anywhere except that when he got traded to Orlando in 2010, he, they made the conference finals with against Boston because Boston beat Cleveland in round mm-hmm. two. But that but team, that's, was, that's, nobody that's, thought that's, that was a finals team. And he was that's, the, that's similar to David Thompson then, though. But David Thompson that's, was like the best guy on a team that for three straight years easily could have won the title. I think, you know, I, I don't think Vince ever got to that level personally. But I, I just I just think it's a remarkable thing that this has happened and it's not bigger news. Like, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I was driving my kids to school today and I was listening to the, all the little sports stations on the radio and no mention of it. Not even like a passing, like, did you know this is interesting? It's like, you know, uh, it's... uh, On the history thing, I'm reading this book that I think you'd like, that just came out called Oscar Wars. And it's about the history of uh, the Oscars. And it's written by a guy, I think his name is Michael Shulman. Um, And he went through and he went through 11 Oscars, like 11 Oscars over the last 100 years that like kind of changed movies for some reason or represented some sort of moment. And I feel like I'm well-read and I feel like I know a lot about sports and pop culture. And I realized as I was reading about it, I knew nothing about movies from like the 1920s all the way through the 50s. Like, like nothing. He's writing about this Olivia de Havilland, Joan Fontaine sister feud. That was like a huge deal in 1938, 1940. And I'm like, I had no idea this happened. This sounds great. And I, it just made me think like, I actually don't go backwards enough. I do it with basketball, but like some of this other stuff, I, I actually, I'm going to make a concerted effort to read more stuff like this. I, I, I referenced this a lot, but I, I thought it was real insightful. Like Ken Burns one time was talking about the Beatles and he was talking about the past. And he's like, you know, things that are 10 years old um, are, are almost still part of the culture. Things that are 20 years old tend to still be remembered if they were big. 30 is a drop off, but not much. 40, they're still there. Big drop off 50 and a, just a disappearance when something becomes 60 years old. Now he always uses the Beatles as the, the one thing that seems to contradict this in that they're arguably more famous now than they were like in 1966 or whatever. But for the most part, it really is 50 years. That once you move beyond 50 years of anything, the collective understanding of it just evaporates. And or like, people talking Lula, about it. Yeah. And also movies are an especially kind of unique example because there was such a jump in the realism of film starting in about 1967 or 68 that that things prior to that seemed very old, um, you know, even when they weren't that distant. Um, That's what one of the chapters was about. It's about how Easy Rider and The Graduate and like that whole wave of movies there was like this 15 year stretch of movies that movies were just bad. It was like, just here's Elvis. He's in a movie. And there was, and then all of a sudden this wave of directors came in in the late sixties and, and flipped it. But yeah, I think there's, you realize it kind of puts it in perspective because you realize somebody like Taylor Swift, who just seems incredibly famous and eternal right now, but 60 years from now, nobody's going to care, you know, cause you go backwards and it's like, who is a bigger star than Clark Gable after Gone with the Wind? You know, who is, who is, you, Rita Hayworth, people like that. They were the biggest stars in the world. They're the Angelina Jolies of their time. There's no Rita Hayworth. Rita Hayworth, the only way she lives on now is in Shawshank Redemption. Nobody else would even think about her, you know? So I, I don't know. It's just the whole thing, the way the movie business evolved, 
over in the final chapter is that 2017 Oscars with the, with the, um, when the, when the one Jimmy hosted when Moonlight, La La Land and how that shifted, but just how the Oscars kind of reflected whatever was going on with cultures and the Will Smith thing, which isn't even in the book, the, the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing was another way that it reflected it, right? Where it became this, did you see this moment that just instantaneously was dissected? Every podcast was about it, all these pieces. And it was all we talked about for a week. And I don't know, kind of reflected what 2022 was like. I mean, part of the reason that I, I don't care about the Academy Awards is for this reason. Uh, doesn't it seem like that the only time the history of the Academy Awards matter is when they got things obviously wrong? Like Steven seems, Spielberg not even getting nominated for Jaws. It seems like the only time it comes up is when people are going back. People thought X mattered, but actually Y is what still like right. informs it. So it is a weird thing. It's like the, it's like the counter canon. It's like that that the Oscars exist simply to show how people were wrong in the moment. You know, it's like I, I, I like you 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 love the like the NBA MVP award. That doesn't seem to be the case. When you look back over MVPs over time, it actually does seem to show who was at the top of the league. But when you look at like the Grammys or the Academy Awards or the yeah. Emmys over and over and over again, the only value it has is illustrating what people fucked up at the time. And uh, that's why I never kind of, I, I just. I, I would say the Oscars has done, I'd say has a way higher batting average than the Grammys has the worst batting average. And the Emmys is way up there for a bad batting average. But Oscars, I'd say it's probably like batting 500. I mean, the, Grammy, the Grammys are strange because until recently, they were like absolutely seen as an industry award. Okay. So like one year, like Toto swept everything at the Grammys and then Rolling Stone wanted to put them on the cover and they wouldn't do it because they're like, I know you're just going to hammer us for this. Right. But the fact of the matter is Toto winning all those Grammys made sense because within the industry, what those guys were doing was like, you know, they're the guys who are the session musicians on Michael Jackson's Thriller. They're the guys who like were making things for like accessible property, like all, all the things that they were doing actually was extremely important to the music industry. It just didn't kind of cross over to people. So that's why in, now, now there's this sense that the Grammys are supposed to be like for the audience or whatever. And I don't know if it's working or not. I guess it seems like they, it seems like people review the shows very positively. And then mm. nobody, then we see the number that says that like the viewership went down by like 180% or whatever. Yeah. yeah Cause it doesn't seem like anyone under 25 He's probably watched for the most part. Let's take a break because I want to talk more about award stuff. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. 
What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their wood barrel bourbon bar soap and lotion or their bay rum deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout. You mentioned the, uh, the NBA MVP thing. Perkins had this video that I think he deleted where he was saying how I, I, the, the Jokic, the Jokic uh, winning the MVP for the third straight time is now becoming some sort of weird narrative. And I think people seem to miss the point of the MVP, which is that it's a regular season award. We're just voting for who was the most valuable player in the regular season. Well, I, he kind of he kind of amplified that message this morning. I saw a clip this morning where he said, since 1990, there's only been three MVPs who were not in the top 10 in scoring. And right. it's Nowitzki, Steve Nash, and Jokic, like Joker. And like, what do they have in common? Uh, which is a pretty kind of, you I, know, that's aggressive. That's pretty rough. Also, well, it's also wrong. I think Jokic has been in the top 10 Right, he's, he was like fifth and 10th. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, the so, other so, thing, my whole thing with this, and we did this when people were like, how has LeBron not won the MVP in, since 2013? And it's like, all right, let's go through the years. Like when he's talking about those Nowitzki Nash years, I didn't have a vote at that point, but it was impossible to even find the most valuable player. I voted for Kobe in 2006, or that was my vote in my column. In 2007, I don't even remember this. I refused to vote. I voted for the fans because it was such a bad season. I gave my number one spot to the fans. So I was like, Nash probably should win, but but that's the the kind of, that's where we were with the season, like a lack of talent, things like that. But for the most part, people get the NBA MVP right. The last polarizing one was Kawhi Leonard, Harden, and Westbrook in, the, in 2017. I voted for Harden. Westbrook won. But they, they're trying to do, now do the Westbrook triple-double thing equates to the Jokic thing. And then it's like, are you guys watching basketball? Like Jokic, I tweeted this the other day. He's the least stat patty player I've watched probably since Duncan and Nash. I, I, I don't think he cares. I don't even no, think he knows what his stats seen, are. He seems legitimately disinterested in statistics and awards. Now, now granted, now maybe if that's, you know, maybe the people will say like, I'm being naive when I say that. But when you see a guy get asked these questions, sometimes you can tell when they have sort of considered, how do I respond to this to give the impression I don't care? Because yeah. I mean, I, you know, I do this all the time if I'm interviewed and somebody asks me a question and I say, I don't care at all. Half the time I'm telling the truth. Half the time I'm actually lying. I do <laughs> care, but I've really, I've really put it together an answer to make it seem like I don't. But he doesn't seem like that at all. He doesn't seem like he just is like, I'm just, a I, I, I'm kind of disinterested being it in front of this microphone, you know, and I just got to get this over with. He hates so the I, all-star game. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. even want to be in the court. Like he's just like, get me out of here. Well, I, I can understand that. It's kind yeah. of embarrassing to be in that, but it's like, you know, now um, uh, I, 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 I think he's going to win. I, I think he deserves to win. Um, I, I, it's all, it, at times I do feel as though there's just so many places now talking about 
pro sports and pro basketball. Like there's more conversation about pro basketball by far than there is actual interest in the NBA that they've got to find these things to discuss. Yeah. And they're trying to somehow talk themselves into a two man race for the, for the, for the MVP with Embiid. Um, and and, and no meanwhile, crit- Giannis yeah. has a better chance to win than Embiid at this point, which I sure, think people I, are going to yes. realize like relatively yeah. soon. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think that like, I don't know, maybe you disagree with this. I kind of feel like there's the belief that, that Joker is the most skilled guy. Um, but if you had to take one player, you probably would take Giannis, which is kind of how it was with LeBron for a while. Yeah. That like, was LeBron they, yeah. from 2014 yeah. to 2018. Yeah. He was and still the guy you wanted when it ultimately hmm. mattered, but he wasn't the regular season MVP. He didn't play enough. I, I mean, it just, I guess it would have, it would feel sort of, Somehow it would also feel wrong if one guy won seven MVPs in a row. Like they just won year after year after year after year. Like, you know, Kareem won six, right? Yeah, Um, Kareem won like six in 10 years, I think. Something like that. Um, uh, But there was, the same thing was happening. I mean, if he won six in 10 years, that means four other guys won it during a period when nobody would have taken any player except Jabbar. Jordan the was the worst one. Jordan, Jordan's yes, the only sure. one we can definitively say he should have two more MVPs than he does. Because there, and you know, I've, I've written about this over the years, but there does, there's a fatigue factor. But I also think now, the, the best thing that's happened is all the ballots are accountable now. Because we had this weird stretch where people could do whatever they want. You didn't even know who voted for what. And now I think people are so fearful of backlash on Twitter or backlash on whatever that they didn't vote for the right person for all NBA or whatever that I think people put real thought into it. And Jokic is the favorite. He's been the most impactful guy. He plays the most out of any great guy and he has the biggest effect on his team. So I, I don't even know what it's argument. It's, it's weird. Sometimes I think it's really dangerous when you're, you're bringing race stuff in this stuff that doesn't seem to have anything to do with race. I, I, I just, Personally, I don't get it. Well, the thing is, now it will. That's, right. that's always the complicated thing. Now that this has been brought up, now it actually will be part of the conversation. It doesn't matter if it's justified or unjustified. Once you sort of enter this idea into the discourse, then it's almost as though, well, if you ignore it, it seems like you're ignoring race. Like someone has brought this up and that's a, you know, a, 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 like a, a form of a bias that you're, you're, you're choosing. So it's like now even someone like you're saying it shouldn't play a role. Now you have to factor this in when you talk about it with Priscilla. When you guys right. talk about these things, you have to factor that in because if you don't, it'll seem like you're consciously ignoring something. Like we're avoiding other people. Yes, yes. The thing is and, with and that, that's, you know, out of the last, like, I would say 20 years, 21st century, the worst MVP outcome, and I voted for him at the time in my column, was was Kobe not winning in 06. Because he had the best case. He had the most impactful season. He had the most memorable season. He checked every box. The team didn't do that well. But I do think there was some residue from the trial and the assault in, in Colorado and whatever happened or didn't happen, how it was perceived coming out of it. And I do think it hurt his chances that year. But he was the best player. And in my column, that's who I picked. And it was the logical pick. But Nash won again. That's the only one where you can go back the last 20 years and be like, the right guy didn't win. 
And I thought Nash should have won the next year. I actually think Nash should win in 05 and 07, but I think Kobe should have won in 06. Other than that, I can't remember like an egregious, oh my God, what were we thinking? Like you've got, I went through it last night just because I was curious. And I think I, I picked the same person who won the MVP like 18 out of 22 times. Like I had Kevin Garnett in 08. That was the year Kobe won. Um, but for the most part, we usually get this right. So that's another thing. We always argue about this and yet it's usually ends up being the right person. But also the thing is, because there's so much more argument about it, um, it's harder to be radically wrong. For example, right. let's say there's somebody who looks at ESPN.com every day, but doesn't follow basketball really at all. Doesn't watch any games, doesn't really care. They would still know the two or three names that you're supposed to use when talking about the best players. So it kind of boils these races down to three or four guys or two guys or sometimes just one guy. Whereas like in the past, when you say like people weren't accountable, I mean, in some ways that was completely true, that there would be somebody who could have who have a vote but doesn't follow the NBA at all and just like, you know, votes for Kareem every year because that's the one guy right. they know must be dominant. It, like, you know, uh, when you say that like, you know, guys are, you'll get hammered on Twitter, that is true. Although it's, I also think it makes some guys go out of their way to be interesting when they vote. Oh, Like, I you know, like there's a certain kind of person who's like, I'll, I, you know, I mean, there's still fucking crazy people who think all any attention is good attention. So they're yeah. like, I'll, I'll make this argument and, um, and then I'll be part of the conversation. And then you got to take me seriously because I made a bad argument. That's what I think is hilarious. Well, people that's happening are, more and more at, at higher all levels. All the time. Well, it's just in everything. Yeah. It's just sort of like, you, you've got to take me seriously because I'm saying something in public. It, it, granted, it's insane. But the reason I'm saying it is because it's insane. Therefore, you must therefore believe other things I say or at least listen to them because this is kind of what I do. You know what I'm saying? It's really, especially when you can cut clips, it's really easy to just get attention for five, six hours all at once. Yeah, the MVP thing, Jokic is the best player in the league from a regular season standpoint. Giannis is the best player in the league. And sometimes that's hard to reconcile with the regular season. But the thing is, Jokic, over the next four months, we might leave June and go, oh, now he's the best player in the league. Like we've seen this happen before and that's what's at stake. They're going to be a number one seed. He has the right team. Home, home court advantage for them is going to be really good and really tough for opponents. And it's all sitting there for him. I, I know you hate it when I bring this up because I brought this up before, but I have a very specific view of the MVP because I yeah. see it as the most valuable player of the league. Okay. This is why I was so adamant that Westbrook won over Harden that year because Westbrook was the best thing for the league that year. I would wake up every morning in New York and immediately check his stat line. Yeah. I was more interested that, you know, so, so I always think it's not, you shouldn't factor in like what the guy's necessarily doing for his team unless his success with that team is good for the league. And I think that because of sort of how this has played out, Joker is the best player for the league now. If for no other reason that he's making this conversation more interesting than it really should be because people have something against his lack of physicality. I got a, I saw a tweet of someone sort of being like, look at it, it's awesome. Jokic can't dunk. Cause he was like standing under the basket <laughs> trying to dunk, you know? And it was kind of charming, yeah. um, but it was also like, ah, so the best player, 
can't do this thing that we associate great players. It's like, like it, it, it's, it, it, it's good, I think, for, you know, the sport and the sport needs it now because it doesn't seem like people care that much about the games. And, and there's a lot of parody right now. There's basically three good teams and four bad teams. Yeah. A whole bunch of teams that seem pretty much interchangeable. And when that happens in football, it's great. It's great for the NFL when that's the case. In basketball, it does not. But as we know, I actually NBA, think it's going to be really good for basketball this year because we're going to see situations where teams are like a five or a six or a seven seed. They're actually really good teams. So I, I think it's going to be pretty bonkers when we actually get there. It's just the season's been so grim. What was the what was the other big thing you wanted to bring up? So you brought up you had Wembenyama. What was your other big thing you were? You said you had oh, two the, things. I, the thing about Antoine Davis, the guy. From oh yeah, Mercy. Okay. yeah, yeah. So what was the big thing you wanted to bring up? Well, I had a couple of them. I so you know we skipped the old balloons entirely. We missed that. That was right in our wheelhouse I of know. idiotic things to talk about. But well, as it I, turns out, they were just balloons. I did want to talk about UFOs because people, you know, they're they've come to expect us to dabble in the in the weird stuff. Do you think we are having more UFO sightings lately because there's more UFO sightings, or because cell phones are better? Well. Huh. So in that, because we have okay, more, using, we basically using, have way more cameras in 2022, 23 than we ever had before. And especially in like more rural places, right? Where like electronics are, are generally slow to trickle at the higher level. But now basically everybody has a cell phone and the ability to tape. So is that, have these UFO sightings been here all the time? And now we just have more phones to capture them or is something happening? Well, the big thing in what you're talking is like in Russia, it seems like everybody has a dashboard cam and right. dashboard cams are how you really get it. Because if, yeah. if somebody, if somebody sees something, some kind of weird object in the sky and they capture it with their phone, that means either it's been up there for them long enough to put it all together, or it's just this crazy coincidence. I mean, the situation with the balloons is kind of understandable, which is yeah. that, so this one balloon gets all this attention. And as a consequence, anybody who sees a balloon reports it immediately. I mean, six months ago, if I had seen a big balloon in the sky, I'd have told my wife. And that would have been it. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have told anybody. I would, what fuck would I care? You know? But now I think anybody was like, I see a balloon over Lake Michigan or whatever. And they call all these things. We use, I have a friend who's a pilot. And we were talking about this on a text thread. And, he, and we were like trying to figure out what was going on. Because you know, there was that balloon the day of the Super Bowl. Okay. There was the balloon over the Great Lakes in the Super Bowl. And um, so one of my friends was sort of like, what if this is aliens? And I'm like, well, first of all, if the aliens understand the world's culture enough to know the Super Bowl is a good time to attack, it's over. <laughs> We're fucking done already. Right. Like if they like that means they've been here for 25 <laughs> years or whatever. And they're like, the they're country with back. the most. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, so if it's an alien, forget it. Don't even worry about it. We're done. Um, but then what his thing was like, well, you know, we're now just in this weird point where people get confused and they get worried and they, and there's all this sort of chatter that we got to use like million dollar missiles to blow up a $1,200 balloon that probably had, you know, some promotional purpose or whatever. So I think with the balloons, it was just that all of a sudden people started saying, I saw a balloon. I got to call 911. The actual UFO stuff that just seems to be just, piling up over time and that the government who spent a long time assuming it must be Russia 
And then the Cold War ends and they're like, we learn all this stuff about Russia. It's like their technology wasn't even as good as ours. Yeah. What are we going to do about this? And they just started kind of admitting it. I, um, I, the admitting yeah. part has been the most surprising thing because we grew up in this culture where they admitted nothing, everything was secret, and that led to like movies like Close Encounters, movies like E.T., shows like The X-Files, which became a real thing in the 90s and should probably come back. But it was always about the government's hiding stuff from us. And now recently, they're not really hiding stuff from us anymore. And it's like, yeah, here... This is another thing that happened. Well, well, yeah. Well, they don't seem to be hiding that. They don't seem to be hiding information about, you know, aircraft that they can't explain. Um, I mean, has there actually been an uptick in the number of UFO sightings? Is that actually true? I definitely feel like it's more in the ether. Well, I mean, there's more information about everything. There's more. So it's you know, right. So I, I, I don't know if there's, you know. Um, because uh, because well here's what we haven't had an uptick in we haven't had a, a, an uptick in cases where people are like I saw this craft I have 40 minutes of missing time I went under hypnosis I was brought aboard the ship they probed me they took all these tests they gave me this information about like what society was going to like Burton with. soap yeah remember all soap? that's it the TV you watch show soap? Soap? yeah Bert yeah, yeah. Bert got abducted yeah. by aliens. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, well, we've talked about this before. I took a UFO class in college yeah. by a guy named John Salter, who was a, a, a big civil rights activist who then also claimed he had been abducted many times uh, by or multiple times by by aliens and or, or at least had these encounters. I still remember the most interesting fact he gave. You know, he, he was explaining that the aliens tend to focus on uh, people with like the most open mind people who were like the most sort of intellectually free. So it's kind of a compliment to himself. But then he said one of the two of the things that happened after these encounter was one, he had never been able to grow a beard and he could now grow a thick, lush beard. <laughs> and the, but here's the more shocking one. Prior to his encounter, he had hated vegetables. And ever since he has been ravenous for peas. <laughs> Kyle loves this. Yeah. Well, but now he's, he's passed away now. He, yeah. he's a, he was a great guy. I had, I loved his class, but his, you know, his I, kids became, his kids are journalists. So, as you know, I believe in this stuff, but my wife has a friend, her friend Meigs, who is self-described as a little witchy, not in a bad way, but she's just like, if she goes into somebody's house and there's like a history in the house, mm-hmm. like her, she'll feel it. Like her, mm-hmm. the, Sure. Like her arms will get all tingly and she just not, not in a bad way, but this is just so like she can sense, she can sense forces beyond the, the yeah. Well, it's like, like in Amityville horror, when the lady comes to the Amityville horror house and she's just instantly is like, this is bad. Something bad is there. I do think people have that power. Like, I don't think that's a crazy thing to think or say, because we have too many documented examples of some people are just more aware of things. And what I, would, what, what would, what would be the reason for that? I don't know. I mean, cause you say it's like, it's not a crazy thing. Well, it's a little crazy, but it could be true. Crazy things are sometimes true, but it is a little crazy to assume some people are just born with an ability to sense what other people can't sense. Although animals can do that. You know, it's like, a. You know, before, uh, you know, these horses will like run in a circle in their pen before a tornado comes. They can sense changes in barometric pressure that we can't. Um, 
is it, would it be like that? Is that like, like, well, here's what I, I guess what I'm asking. Do you think this crazy ability, if true, is some outgrowth of science and natural things, or is it actually mystical? Well, have you ever read stories about somebody has like a twin brother or a brother and something bad happened to the sibling mm -hmm. and yeah, they were sense. in a completely different place, but just yeah. immediately knew something bad had happened and then came to find out like they landed. This happened to Bret Hart. Bret Hart's brother died and Bret Hart was on a plane and he just knew something bad happened. He'd know he, there was no Wi-Fi on the plane, nothing. And they landed and they, or maybe they even told him on the plane. That makes me, that's another one where if it, it's like, how do we know things that are people that are close to us, that something happened if we're not in the room for when it happened? Well, okay. So if they're identical twins, they would literally share the same DNA. If they're fraternal twins, they would just be like brother and sister, or, you know, it would just yeah. be like any. Um, so if they share, let's say the exact same DNA, that would mean that DNA can transmit experience over air, wouldn't it? Right. So how, how could that be? I don't know. I just know we have a but, lot of but documented I, stories. But, but like, but what would it be? Like, I'm not saying, I obviously, I'm not saying like, answer this bill, you fucking hypocrite. It's like, what, I, what I'm saying is like, what, what, like, what could it be? Like, like if it's true that identical twins are able to sense things in remote areas, yeah. what's, a, what's a possibility that could make that happen? Would that sound, I mean, because to me, if you believe in that stuff, you're really moving in this direction that like pretty much full-on belief in like a higher power, full-on belief in intelligent design, that all of these things in life are not just chance, that there is really um, a, a logic to it. And I feel like when I push you in that direction, you're not like, ah, I don't know. But like you kind of, on, on, the, on the superficial side, you're always like, maybe. I think it's a combo. Because sometimes, sometimes, combo of what? A combination but sometimes of what? there's stuff where chance is just chance, right? Like okay, the NBA yeah. lottery is doing the lottery balls for Wembenyama. <laughs> and I don't think God is like, I have decided Wembenyama is going to be in Houston. Yeah, I think it's just these balls that rattle around and then the combination comes up and then he'll go to Houston or he'll go to Oklahoma City and the whole destiny of, like think about the LeBron lottery that year. Where if Memphis got number one, they got to keep the pick, right? And there's a famous shot of Jerry West, like having basically an aneurysm. What happens if LeBron goes to Memphis? What happens to the city of Memphis? What happens to the city of Cleveland? Well, There's sure, all these other things. Here, that, but here, you know, here, like, I just want to go back like 90 seconds. Like you say, like, you don't think God would, would be, you know, playing a role in this. And I understand that. This is a very common thing. Like, you know, sometimes like someone will see a player praying during the national anthem right. and it will outrage a certain, usually kind of a, a person who's an atheist is like, oh yeah, like you think God really cares if the Browns beat the Ravens or whatever, like, you know, but that overlooks the fact that if you were to believe in a full on God, uh, he cares about everything or she cares about everything or it cares about everything. It's an all powerful being. It would have interest in absolutely every, there, it wouldn't be well, that's like, that's why they God, wouldn't be rooting for a team because well, well, people on both uh, who, teams conceivably would be praying well, to God couldn't necessarily be rooting for both teams, but if, if what, what, what you're kind of describing is an all, an all power for God who kind of just like puts the world in motion and lets it go. But I, I don't know. It's like, we can't personify God in this way. If we're going to think about God, it's like God could be interested in absolutely everything. 
and probably would have a vested interest in. I like how you created my argument for me and then debunked yeah. it. That if yeah. you have an argument, <laughs> I don't know what to think about the God part, but I do think there's stuff there with with spirits and intuition. Spirits. So now, what are those? Well, I'm saying you go to a house. Okay. I think houses have histories. I don't think there's any question. No and question that houses have histories. Houses have histories. I do. I really genuinely believe this. Okay. 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 Keep going. Keep going. We have the house that we live in. We have our dog, Willie, who I think... We, we're not sure. Willie definitely might be seeing things that we can't see. Okay. This is good dog park material. Keep going. Okay. So you sense your dog is... Willie sometimes will just be looking around, right? And okay. a lot of times he hangs out in this stairwell. We have this stairwell that goes upstairs and you go upstairs then it turns the other way. And a lot of times he hangs out in the stairwell and he just kind of looks up and around, right? So then we read this story, the neighborhood we live in, they had stories about different houses and they had this story about the history of our house and two people died in our house and one committed suicide. And then we were like, is that, does Willie see the person that committed suicide in the house? And that's why, like, I don't know. I have no idea, but I, maybe I've seen too many horror movies and maybe well, we shouldn't yeah. even keep this well, part of the podcast in the podcast. Well, no, I just, like, okay. Was like, Willie communicating so, with spirits from the past? We don't okay. know. Or is he just a dumb dog? So there was a, uh, a period in the nineties when Trent Reznor was living in the house where the Manson murders occurred. Okay. He had, he, he, you know, and, and it was during the time he was like hanging out with Tori Amos a lot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's in LA. You're kind of a real estate guy now. Would you never live in the house where the Manson murders were committed? Let's say you could get that house. I wouldn't live in a, I wouldn't live in like a murder's house. I would not. In the fear that it might cause you to commit a murder? No, I've just, I'm pro happy ghosts. I'm scared of the ghosts that might be ghosts for reasons that they didn't want. But why would, why would say that like the ghost of Sharon Tate be after you? Like, I don't know. I just, I don't like the juju in the house. I wouldn't do it. See, I, I, I don't think it would bother. I think I would, I would find it interesting to live in that house. Would you live in like the OJ Nicole house? They knocked down. Now they knocked huh. it down for a bunch of reasons, but one the of bungalow. the bungalow. So it's a bungalow. One I, of the I, reasons I, I, was, People kept slowing down on traffic to go by it. Here's the case against ghosts. I think more people die in hospitals than probably every other place combined, right? Uh-huh. So uh -huh. then why aren't hospitals just loaded with ghosts? Well, I guess the idea would or be- Or are they? There's just too yeah. many ghosts. Well, are you, are you working from the position that every person who dies becomes a ghost or only certain people become a ghost. Because I, don't know. I guess if I fucking had these ideas, what I would probably think is that a ghost is somebody who uh, uh, cannot get over the consequence of their death and wants to remain yes. in our world. They didn't, um, they didn't so have, it's like Patrick Swayze and Ghost, which I think is the most realistic ghost movie. <laughs> he has unfinished business. He can't, yeah. he can't go to where he needs to go because he has unfinished business. Uh, but but how how does a ghost finish business? I mean, outside of the Patrick Swayze example, if, if there's a let's say the person commits suicide in your house, how'd they commit suicide? Can I ask? I, 
I did that part. I don't know. Okay. So let's say the person commits suicide because they had some financial issues. Uh, it was going to humiliate spouse them. Was cheating on um, them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they, so they, uh, they hang themselves in your house or whatever. So right where Willie looks up. Yes. Yeah. So your dog is looking at the fucking ghost and he's like, this ghost has unfinished, like what would be the unfinished business? The ghost can't know. go back and, you know, I don't, I don't know. What Maybe he's just stuck in the do. house. See, well, maybe I'm I angering guess, him by talking about this on the podcast and now they're going to start messing with us. I mean, it's possible. I guess like a very Catholic idea would be that if you commit suicide, you're not allowed into the afterlife. Uh, you, you're either stuck in, you're stuck in a kind of purgatory and the purgatory, I mean, in, in, in many, many ways. The or maybe if you get murdered, same thing. Yeah. So you're, you don't believe in ghosts or you haven't decided. Well, I, I mean, I'm the kind of person who's like, I kind of believe in everything, but I really believe in nothing in, in a sense that I'm open to the possibility so of Gen of, X. Abs- yeah, yes, I it's just whenever, whenever I'm really confronted with these things and 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 as now as I'm getting older, I, I some of these things I think about more in a weird way, not so much the ghosts, but just the idea of like, what happens at the end of all this and what is the meaning of all this. But uh, I mean, the, the, the conventional description of a ghost, I guess I, I don't really believe in. Cause I feel like it would have to be something that would almost transcend our ability to imagine it. Yeah. When you're about to die is one of the last things you're going to think about that you were prominently mentioned on an OC episode, your book. Uh, I still think that was one of the great, name drops of any friend I have might even be number one. I would say it was hot that year too. Well, yeah, the, the main thing that that taught me was how many people I know watch that show. Cause I was at a diner with some woman and all of a sudden my phone kept, the text kept going off and I was trying to talk to her. I did was avoid my phone or whatever, you know? Uh, and then I looked down and it was every person I knew who happened to watch the OC. So that was the most accurate understanding I've ever gotten of a television show. So I wonder in terms like of its, yeah. in, if Outer Banks did that, like I guess Outer Banks would be the equivalent of the OC now, maybe. Netflix or Stranger Things is too big. Well, no. But like if that happened on Outer Banks, would people text you simultaneously or because they're binge watching it, it would just be steady stream of texts? Well, no, because it's, I think also it's, it, the idea of being mentioned on a television show used to have much more meaning than it does now. I mean, there's been other television shows that I've been mentioned in. I mean, this is, I'm not trying to brag about this, but like that show, that show you're, that show you're the worst. There was a guy made a reference to me or whatever. Uh, uh, it happens. I mean, I'm sure it's happened to you probably 10 times as many times it's happened to me, but it doesn't mean as much now because I was a Jeopardy uh, answer once that, that was a big, big thing. Well, for, that I did. Well, my father-in-law was really how excited many, about it for how many dollars though? How many dollars was it for that? I don't remember. I mean, because that's the thing. That's what really matters. To be a $200 Jeopardy question, that means idiots know it. You want to be at the bottom. This is like the whole thing with the Antoine Davis, Pete <laughs> Maravich thing now. Right. To me, the all-time leading scorer in college basketball, that's a $200 or a $400 question under the category of college basketball records. But if it becomes Antoine Davis that now it's a thousand dollar Detroit question. Mercy, yeah, it's the fucking bottom of the thing. And I just, like, that's, I I, I, I don't know. I, I'm happy for the really, guy. This I is just, a really good way to think about life. Am I going to be a $100 question or a thousand dollar question? Well, yes. And what, and what is better? 
It's see, the, the, everyone wants to be the thousand dollar question, but in truth, the hundred dollar question means it's obvious. So you're just an obviously famous, you know? Good time to take a break. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. You're going to start wearing shorts. You're going to start wearing bathing suits. Just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve. And what you already excel in, and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad from you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries. Maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp. A convenient and flexible way since it's entirely online right now. It's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. All right, coming back. I have a speed round for you. Speed round question number one. How would you handle the NBA if you became Adam Silver's chief advisor tomorrow? It was like a 90-day contract. Wow. Uh, what, what does, uh, uh, what, how would I handle it? Uh, Adam well, comes to you and he's like, Chuck, yeah. I've lost the steering wheel. I've uh, lost control of the car and I can't figure out had to okay. advance this league anymore. Well, Will you help me? I've kind of thrown into position uh, that I, I haven't really prepared for, but uh, so I'm just going to rip off something a guy named Mike Mathog recently uh, was talking about. Uh, he thinks that they need to move the schedule down to 72 games, but then expand the league by 10 teams because then the players will agree to keep going because it won't it won't destroy oh, the, the, the amount of money. And he feels that there's enough good players now to sustain that many I'm teams. on that bandwagon. Now, well, my argument initially was like, that's fucking crazy. It's like, that's going to dilute the talent even more. It's going to become even more unwatchable. But the fact of the matter is the NBA seems pretty comfortable with the way it's going in that regard, that they kind of feel like we can be a major sports league where most people don't watch the games, even if they profess to calling it their favorite sport. So the idea of expanding the league. Well, they are going to expand. You know, They're yeah, expanding well, I mean, their Vegas you know, and Seattle. Now, They're waiting until after that, this deal. Get, Get Vegas and Seattle, like, you know, finding the eight other towns 
can be a little tough. Uh, eight is ridiculous. I, mean, I think you could add well, two, and I think that would make up for the lost revenue. I think is. But it, I think that's the move. I mean, taking 10 games off, that's a huge amount of revenue lost unless they just say we really only care about TV money. But that was that'd be the first thing I'd bring up. Uh, but it's not my idea. So if you're going like, to add 10 teams, I would go to 60 at that point, And then you have relegation. Like if you're really doing this correctly, I think that would be the move. But they would, they would never do that. But two teams. It should be 72. 72 is the right number. Next question. I just assume the worst with college sports at all times. I just assume the worst outcome, it's going to be handled the worst. It's going to be the worst situation. Nobody's in charge. It's just going to go badly. Has it always been that way and I'm just older and I realize that now or is have things gotten worse? You're a bigger college sports fan than I. Well, it's gotten a little bit worse. I mean, society has gotten worse. So it's like a uh, you you say take the guy at Alabama now. You got the football player in Georgia. It seems like these are the primary stories we hear about. But we always had athletics. guys like that. I mean, there were yeah, always really yeah. unseemly star athlete situations with bad things happening. This I mean, the, the, the thing changed. with the guy from from Alabama is, I think in the fairly recent past, the idea that like he wasn't charged with anything. He just sort of, you know, was kind of involved with this other guy. I think people would would care less, but there there is more sort of uh, there's more moral policing without consequence than ever before. Yeah. In other words, there's more people demanding that like people be, uh, you know, uh, forced to sit out 10 games or suspended for the year or like they must be held accountable. But it's not actually changing what's what's being, what's actually going on. It's just that it's, it's, it's everywhere. Like you can't, there isn't any sort of off the court or off the field activity that people don't feel as though they got to weigh in on and sort of express an idea that sort of positions them um, as having the right kind of morals or the sort of the right kind of social standing. So is it worse now? I mean, I, I would guess that there were a lot of things that like happened, say like, with Barry Switzer's Oklahoma Sooners. Oh, yeah. That, that they couldn't even put in that book. You know, I mean, th there was like a book about that where it's like guys had machine guns in their dorm room. And I bet like that, you know, or, or there was a book about the NC State Wolfpack, Personal Fowls. Uh, do you remember I that remember book? I remember that, yeah. Armageddon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, not Armageddon. Uh, Who was it? With, guy with a G. Gobble. Oh, Peter Golombek. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. that's um, who was. Uh, uh, that book kind of has been discredited. Um, yeah. But yet in some ways, when you go back and read it, it actually seems like I have a sense that these rumors that this guy couldn't verify for real probably are pretty close to being true. So, I mean, I I, I guess it's like, uh, you know, uh, we have so many illusions about college sports, about what it means that we also got to apply it to the to the sort of their like their their social behavior. It's like we want to sort of still imagine that college students aren't just the way they were when we were in college, but the way college students were in the 1950s. That's like, that, that's sort of the idea people have of college. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I, as someone who loves college sports, I mean, we talk about things that have changed in my lifetime that bum me out in sports. And yeah. I'm not saying like Lynn bias dying. I'm not saying, you know, I'm saying like things that just happen to these things in general. The thing that bothers me the most 
is instant replay. But the thing that bothers me second most is just the decline of college basketball over my life and yeah. how that was just something, oh God, I just, I think about watching the tournament in the 1980s and just uh, how, how great it was. And now it's like, I, Pete Maravich's record can be broken and nobody fucking cares. So, okay. So, yeah, yeah it's pretty rough. Well, especially like when you throw in the AAU piece of it too, and then the G League, and there's, there's just no coming back for college basketball, but it's still fun. I still, I'm oh, still sure. going to enjoy watching Madness, but yeah, it's like the stuff we've I think talked it's gonna about. Be in the a, past. It's, good, it's gonna be an interesting tournament this year. It like it's it, there's gonna be a lot of teams, non-traditional powers, who are going to be very interesting to watch. I remember it's the 40 year anniversary of NC State. And mm. like I actually remember watching that as a kid. Yes. We we watched it and the games were on at all hours. They didn't they didn't do it the way they do it now. But I actually remember that whole run. And it really mattered. Like college basketball, I feel like mattered um, the entire time as much as any other sport I followed. You could argue it was probably more popular than the NBA until Bird and Magic kind of started doing oh, the thing. Oh, no, it was it was more popular than the NBA, I think, through most of the 80s. Yeah, and then it, by the it, end it, of the NBA 80s, caught up probably like eight. I think the 87 finals, the NBA caught up because MJ was coming in. Um, all right, next question. Should we stop trying to save legacy cable networks like CNN and MTV and Showtime and Comedy Central and just admit that this era is over? Like I'm watching Chris Lick trying to save CNN and it's been, he's been every decision. He's like the worst sports jam of all time so far. Every decision he's made is wrong. And I guess the question is, can, can those networks be saved? Like you look at MTV and it's ridiculousness for 22 hours a day and then the challenge and every once in a while there'll be a music video. I mean, um, I, isn't it, I would, I, my, what I would assert is something like MTV, CNN, these things. The only thing that is valuable about those institutions is the name. And the thinking is like, we just got to keep these things alive because at some point we'll be able to sort of repurpose the idea of MTV for something But isn't something that what else. we did with like Sports Illustrated? Remember that? When uh, that run when Sports Illustrated was asking for like three, four hundred million to bucks or whatever it was and was like, wait, but, what? Sports Illustrated is well, not I mean, Sports Illustrated anymore. I, 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 I think this is probably more applicable to Rolling Stone, but you got Rolling Stone this, is another one. Well, yeah. no, but here's the deal. It's very easy for me to imagine in some future where if you go to a tourist trap, there's a bar called Rolling Stone and it's a rock based bar or you find a sports bar called Sports Illustrated. And they basically use the history of Sports Illustrated to decorate a place where you buy chicken wings. Like, I think that these things will be moved into. That sounds things. like an awful bar. Well, sure, but you know, I, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying like great. But I'd say like this. I, that's what I imagine. So, like, I I didn't realize people were trying to save these things. I thought these things were just sort of like dying. Of, well, I think CNN and people felt like it was being reinvented, but it just seems like it's being blown well. But apart. people will people will still turn to CNN. Yeah, like like say like when like the January sixth thing happened. Right. It's like there, there, some people were following it on Twitter, but then people are like, what's happening on or, or or just like the most recent shooting at Michigan State. Like I did turn on CNN when that happened or when the or when the guy, uh, you know, when, when the guy for the uh, uh, for the bills was like, well, yeah, I, like, I went to watch. Yeah. I, yeah, I went to watch all the channels just to see how they I'm were. I'm with you. I think CNN out. should be savable. I don't think the other ones have just morphed into different ways we consume content. 
Like they just basically been replaced, but it, nobody's really replaced CNN yet. Um, and then well, Fox uh, News but- is like on the other side, like Fox News seems like it hasn't really lost a lot of potency. I always think it's interesting that they, that show, The Gutfield Show. Uh-huh. And The Gutfield Show is like yeah. the biggest late night show. Like if you actually look at the audience, um, which I think is just, it, it's almost like you're, uh, you're Detroit Mercy guy. No, I mean, if you ask people, like, what's the biggest audience right now? Late night. I don't think like, people would be picking him. Like at one point, CNN was like Coke. And I think like Fox News and MSNBC was like, can we be Pepsi? Can one of us be Pepsi? Yeah. But now CNN is RC Cola. Now it's third there because it's like the people don't want they like they want bias. They, they actively want something that re- that kind of matches their bias. And CNN I guess a lot of like conservatives feel it's left-leaning left-leaning people feel like, Oh, it's not really that left-leaning. So it has no place, you know? CNN's move is probably to just get all the people who've been disgraced the last 10 years and just make them the anchors of all the shows. Like well, that, I'm not sure what would, what would success for CNN mean? Like what, what would, know. I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, I like their morning show should be that, that good morning America couple that hooked up and got fired. Oh, with sure. Two yeah. people just put them yeah. on. Make it, make it, let's get some controversy. Um, I follow a JFK assassination Substack that has renewed my interest in the JFK mm-hmm. assassination. And I actually have a theory that I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about. I haven't thrown this at you. Okay. If you like this guy who does it, I forget his name. I, I'm going to say it's like Jefferson Morley, something like that. But, his, Jefferson Morley is a, was a reporter for like the Washington, uh, like alternative papers yeah, in the 80s and 90s. That's he for spin. Yeah, okay, yeah. So his theory is like, they keep saying we're going to release the rec- records. We're gonna, and by the way, they were supposed to have released all the records at this point. It's 2023. They should all be out. Even Trump, for some reason, was afraid to release all the records. The reason, the ones he, this guy went through and he made a pretty compelling case of like, which ones have been kind of redacted or not released. And they're all related to the CIA. And it's all about, it's basically anything that hasn't come out yet is because the CIA doesn't want whatever it is to come out. And I am more convinced than ever than the, that the CIA killed JFK now. I think that's where I've landed. Well, okay. So what I would say to this is if that, if, if, if there is a conspiracy I think the CIA one is the strongest. However, I am now a Oswald acted alone person. In fact, there's a new book called The Oswalds by this guy, Paul Gregory, who was friends with Oswald, but also really with his wife, Marina, uh, before the shooting for several years. And uh, Who's this guy, actually, like 95, writing a book? Well, no, he's a historian and he's worked, uh, he's either an economist or historian. And uh, so he's kind of been working like, publishing things in college and his, all these friends of his kept saying like, you've got to write about this. You have yeah. to, cause he was, he was trying to learn Russian and he wanted someone who he could speak Russian with kind of fluently. And Oswald's wife, particularly Marina, who was from Russia, like, you know, she, uh, that was the kind of the person he used to speak with, you know, just work on his language. And I mean, this is just one guy, but the details he gives about young Oswald seem extremely accurate. And it definitely makes it seem as though he was just an unhinged person who acted alone. Plus, and this yeah, is but the CIA, the, the CIA like the, definitely was involved with Oswald and all these. But though they, 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 like, no question. Yeah, uh, they, 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 I, I, 
think that there are probably, there's a lot of people like, I did a big story with two other guys once on the Kent State shootings. Mm. And it was very interesting to realize like how many random college students had relationships with the FBI. Like it would kind of been a cool job to be like a, like a, a narc during that time. Yeah. Just party, party with the hippies, listen to all the good music, live the good life. And then like, oh, you just go and have a natural life afterwards. But um, the, uh, the thing uh, what I was saying is like the fact that Oswald tried to assassinate someone else before he tried to, you know, before he killed JFK, it just makes me think that this is a guy who just believed he was supposed to kill someone. Like he tried to kill a guy, a general, like a guy's name was Walker, I think, in his home. Mm. Yeah. All right, last one. Do you think the pandemic, the three years, will eventually lead to good art? No. Okay, why? Well, I think it'll have, probably have the opposite effect because like, I think that sometimes people will say like, okay, you look at the Vietnam war or like you look at like, oh, say like the, Watergate. the, the, the garbage strike in England when like all those punk bands were sort of emerging from that and all these things. It's like the conditions of the world sort of make the person think uh, the, the, there's, this is the problem. I need to address this problem. The thing with COVID was it was a huge, massive disaster that was completely intangible. Like it's, it, it's, it was just something that was being passing around. If, if, if you didn't know someone who died or who had it, it was just kind of going on and you were just locked in your house. And yeah. that doesn't really lead to like being creative. I mean, I think that they'll look back. There was that, oh, who was that guy? He made a special... Ben Burnham or Bo, something. Bo Burnham. Yeah, yeah. Burnham. yeah, that was good. And then there, and there was also the Fiona Apple record that came out during that. There are there. I think there will be these things that people will go back. Oh, you look at these things, and you kind of will have a better way of understanding the mindset of the time. Um, but like, uh, I, 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 I don't think that you know there were so many people who were stuck in their house for two years. There should be a glut of books that come out because people were just saying? you know. People didn't do them. People didn't write those books. Like there should have been that. Like, like this was the opportunity for every person who always said, I'd love to write a book. I just, who has the time? What am I, you know, it's like, this was the time to do it. And it didn't seem to happen. So I don't think that there's anything that's <laughs> you know going to come out. Instead, it was the time to catch up on Ozark. Y yeah. And well, every mean, show that you, know, you never totally wanted to watch, but like I watched Yellowstone. I never would have watched Yellowstone normally, but there, yeah, I had a lot I, of those I, yes. moments. You know, that's so, so I think that it's, it, it doesn't seem to me like it spurred anyone to do something new. Because yeah, I was thinking, you know, we do the, when we do rewatchables movies from older eras, it's so interesting sometimes when the movie reflects whatever was going on, right? Which was what movies used to do in all these different ways. But a movie like the, we did Blowout a few months ago with Travolta. And that's kind of one of the, that's a seventies movie that was really made in 1981, but it's still that, that paranoia kind of type of movie, like three days of the condor and those, those types of things. And yeah, yeah. it's weird. And now, or the Vietnam movies, like even a movie like first blood, which I thought was really good. Um, but there were deer hunter on and on and apocalypse now. And it was all these movies that reconciled with, how, Vietnam, why we were there, war in general. And yet with the pandemic, we haven't really seen anything yet. And you're right, well, maybe we yeah, won't. 
I mean, and it's also, you know, it's strange. I, I don't know if you feel this way, but like I, I was I was recently watching this documentary about uh, the diamond industry and it had to have been made relatively recently because there was a lot of footage from this where like people are wearing masks. And I find that when I see art now and it's like and there's like a heavy sort of pandemic uh, like kind of like it like it's it informs that. I'm like, I don't want to fucking think about this again. So it's going to be really hard for someone to do a pandemic movie in the future. That's going to make me be like, Oh great. I want oh, to cool. think about Masks that. Are back. Yeah. I went yeah, to the yeah. eye doctor yesterday and everyone had to wear a mask. Yeah. My son went to the, and eye I'm like, doctor what yesterday the fuck? And we're we still doing this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, people are still getting it though. I mean, I'd like, I, I, I don't, I'm always kind of hesitant to, to criticize people for doing it. It, 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 but it's like it i like I, my I, my life is totally back now but it's strange because you can look at statistics and they'll be like well it's weird that we're totally back but okay yeah i mean Listen, I, I covid would be a lot better than what kyle gave me for 10 days in october got banned from football for the rest of the year he gave me some form of bronchitis that i i don't even know where it came from might have been how from many, outer space how many times did you have covid twice or three times i had it uh, once I had the Omicron right I after. You had, I thought you had it twice. Maybe I did have it. I can't even remember. I I'm definitely pretty had sure it you did. Yeah. Um, but then I had it, the but whatever the bronchitis was last winter. I th I felt like was worse than COVID. I I was dying. I couldn't get rid of it. But that's what happens when Kyle goes to the frolic room, and I don't know what I don't know what he did. Um. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens with the art. But I'm with you. When I see the masks in a movie, I get bummed out. Like, I don't want to go back. I'm just let's move forward. Let's start thinking about this. Um, all right, that was fun. I think we hit everything. Yeah, is this is this running Thursday or Friday? This is running late tonight. Okay, well, if tomorrow, Friday, I'm doing a book event in yeah. Hillsboro, Oregon. Oh. So if, any, if anyone's listening to this in the Portland area. It's at a Barnes and Noble there. It's weird to do a book event on a Friday night. I've never done one on a Friday before. This is a store that's new, but like, I'm gonna see if anyone, it, cause it got canceled from last Friday cause there was the blizzard here. We got like 11 inches of snow. Should we do a live podcast in Portland? Me, you and CR? That would be great. All right, we'll, we'll work on that. We wanted mm -hmm. to start doing a couple more live pods. They've been really fun. It's fun to get out there and you know I love Portland. Any excuse? It's been a long time for me to come to Portland. Plus, who knows? The, the Dame Lillard, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we could go to a Blazer game and it'll be the night he scores 100. Oh, yeah. No, I, I took my kid on his birthday uh, to the game when he scored 60. And I was like, oh, wow, it's amazing. You saw you know, like 61 or whatever, and then he scored 70 now. So it's like, you know. Uh. I do think, I, I really do think 100 is possible now. Like in a way that even I remember Shay Serrano and I talked about this a couple of years ago and we were trying and I tried to map out what the game would be. But I think the key is the guy would have to have a huge first half. I think you'd have to have like 55 in the first half. And then the second half, if the guy has the ball all the time and he's just shooting threes, like when Dame was hot the other night, it's really conceivable. It's, it would be conceivable that he could get to 45 points if he took 22 threes in the second half, you know? Yeah, I, it, it is now it has entered the realm of being possible, which I, I never like that. It almost yeah, seemed yeah, like it was inconceivable. Um, like, I, I don't think it'll happen. I mean, because it, it's, you know, cause, like, but, like just watching Lillard score like 60 some points, man. It's like it, 
he, that was the, I he was think getting the tired most, at the end. Did you see well, how tired well, he was at the, the, thing by the was, end of the game? Wasn't that that according to the analytics guys, like the most efficient game in uh, maybe in like an NBA history in terms of the number of shots he took or whatever, yeah. and the number of and yet it did seem like he was had the ball constantly. Like it's or when you or, or when you've like when you rewatch like Kobe's game, like it seems like he's shooting constantly. It's hard to imagine eking out, you know, another 14 points or whatever, but it's like we're, we're 16 points or whatever. It's, like, it's weird. You know? I'd be it's, more excited for a Jokic 25-25-25, which I think oh, is that, conceivable. That could definitely happen. That That's could conceivable. absolutely I think happen. that would yeah. be like I don't, a yeah. triple quarter, I guess we would call mm-hmm. that. Like, could a triple triple quarter happen with Jokic? I feel like it could. All right. Well, I'll, uh, well, we'll, but first of all, we should do this more often. It's my fault for never, uh, never texting you and be like, "Hey, we got to do a pod." But it was, it was great to talk to you and see you, and I'm glad we did it. You bet, man. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Chuck Klosterman. Thanks to Ara Hawani. Thanks to Kyle Crane for producing as always. Thanks to Steve Cerruti. I will see you on Sunday night. Sundays with Brasillo. It's back. You're getting us. March, April, May, June, half of July. Your Sundays are back. They're back in place. See you on Sunday night. I don't want to see them on a way to